What's up? Welcome to Bow Down, the teaching ministry of Pastor Chris Tress. All right, let's go to Genesis 1-1. Genesis 1-1. Main text today is going to be Philippians chapter 2, but we're going to start off in Genesis 1-1. And the reason why is because we have to lay down some doctrinal foundation Because sometimes it's confusing that, uh, okay, Jesus was fully God, fully man. What does that mean? Um, And again, one of the big things that we're trying to eradicate in the church is the, the internal belief and sometimes the verbal belief that I can't do those things. That was Jesus. Well, that was Jesus. I surely can't do those things. Let me just tell you, that's not a, that's not a biblical truth. And today, we want to take that down because we want to look how, at Jesus and how he did what he did and how he expects us to live like he lived. But before we go there, let us start here in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. It says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That verse right there is extremely important for us. Do you know that within the public school system, they have classes that come against that verse? Why? Because if God didn't create, then we're not responsible. God created the heavens and the earth. And let me just tell you, this Christian... That if you can believe this one passage, the rest of the Bible becomes easy. Meaning, virgin birth. Meaning, miracle signs and wonders. Meaning, can I abide in Christ? Oh, yeah. If he gives the word, you can. Everything becomes easy if you get this one verse. If you believe this, that God spoke, he spoke, and everything was created Everything becomes easy. You'll never fear again if you believe this one verse. Psalm 107.20 says this, He sent out His word and He healed them. In Genesis chapter 1, He sent out His word and He created the heavens and the earth. He created mankind. In Psalm 107, verse 20, he says he sent his word and he healed them. Some of you are waiting for some fancy uh, healing guy to lay hands on you when you need to look to the Lord and say, God, would you send a word and heal me? And it might just be physical. It might be an addiction. It might be a stronghold in your life. It, It might be a wounded heart, right? Jesus is the good shepherd, and he said he will restore your soul. Well, how does he do that? One way is he sends his word, and he heals you. See, Genesis 1-1 is really important. Let's break down some Hebrew words here. It says... In the beginning, God. That word in the Hebrew is Elohim. Say Elohim. Elohim is the plural for the word God. It's plural. 
If we remember back what we just prayed in Colossians 1.16, it says, All things were created through him and for him. Speaking of Jesus, all things were created through him and for him. And so God, Elohim, plural, was there in the beginning. This one verse is important. Let's go to Genesis 1.26 and 27. Then God said, let us, let us, who's he talking to? Father, Son, Holy Spirit. See, if people say that the Trinity is not in the Bible, no, God, the Father, God, the Son, God, the Holy Spirit, three in one, equal, equal. Some people don't like this analogy, but I like it, so I'm going to continue to use it. H2O. Water, vapor, ice. Is ice H2O? Is vapor H2O? Is liquid water H2O? Okay. Now you can kind of get an understanding of the Trinity and what it's like. And you doctrinal nerds, leave me alone. (laughs) I want you to look at the next part. Let us make man in our... Our image and likeness. Listen, you're not from an ape or a monkey. And we wonder why people act like that when that's what they're being taught. And then it says, let them have dominion. Say dominion. Dominion. You are created to take dominion. That was God's intention. That we take dominion. Over the fish, over the birds, sea, livestock, over all the earth, over every creeping, living thing that creeps. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and what? Hey, females, be encouraged. In the image of God, he created them. He doesn't say that about the animals who we supposedly evolved from, right? No. We're different. We're the pinnacle of his creation, created in the image and likeness of God and told to take dominion over the world. Rule, rule this earth. You are empowered. And so he gave mankind certain rights, certain rights. That's going to be important when we come to Philippians chapter 2. I want you to go to Deuteronomy 6.4 so we can... Finish this here. This is the Shema. Say Shema. Uh, every good Hebrew would, would say this constantly and uh, as, as part of a, a way of life. And um, Deuteronomy 6, 4. This is the Shema, Deuteronomy, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, and Deuteronomy. So it's a few books over to the right. If it was a Hebrew Bible, it would be over to the left. But anyway... Hebrews 6, 4, hear, O Israel, the Lord, now I want you to put Yahweh there, Yahweh, 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 that's the Lord, capital L, Yahweh, 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 the Lord, our God, God, that's Elohim, that's plural, plural, 
The Lord, Yahweh, is what? One. Plural, one. Yahweh, one. Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit is God. Jesus is God. The Father is God. Three and one. Yahweh. Yahweh. Why is this important? Because we've got to understand and have doctrinal foundation on who Jesus was, but when he came, there were some things that changed on the earth, and we're going to hit that today. But I don't ever want you to walk away from the reality that Jesus is fully God. John 1.1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. John 1.14, the Word became flesh, that's Jesus, and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. So they saw the glory of Jesus, the Word, from the beginning, he was with God, was God, and he became flesh. Jesus is God in the flesh. So how did Jesus do it, Philippians chapter 2. And this is the means, again, vision, intention, and means. Means, how are we going to move like that? Not move like Jagger, but move like Jesus. Some of you... The pure, all things is pure. You don't even know why people are laughing. And listen, you stay on that path, baby. You stay on that path. Philippians 2. This is an amazing passage. And listen, listen, this is how Jesus did it. This is how Jesus did what he did when he walked the earth. And, and listen, this is how we are supposed to. To do it as well. First John 2, 6, if anyone claims to be in Christ, he must walk as Jesus walked. How did he do it? How did he do it? Thanks for asking. Philippians 2, 5. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Say it's mine. I want you to put up above that 1 Corinthians 2.16. We're going to come back to that, but just put there as a reference 1 Corinthians 2.16. Again, why do you go to so many Christian, scriptures, Chris, Chris, Christian? Yeah, I'm a Christian. Uh, it, it, because we're trying to build doctrine. Like the word has to be the foundation of your life. Jesus said that. He who hears my words and does them, I'm liking that guy to a man who builds his house on the rock. And when the rains and the winds come, it's not going to fall. That's your destiny. That's your purpose. That's your calling. Those who hear, but they don't want to do what he says. Jesus says, hey, that foolish person, their house is going to fall. And so scriptures extremely important that we get these lodged in our heart so they become truth so that when lies come in it does not compute it does not compute it does not compute because the truth of Christ reigns Colossians 3:16 let the words of Christ dwell in you richly not poorly richly 
overflowing with the word. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the very form of God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. You want to highlight that. You want to highlight this whole thing, by the way. This is a powerful passage. So he didn't cling to the fact that he was God. We're going to talk about that in a second. But he emptied himself. Say emptied himself. Emptied himself. Man. By taking the form of a servant, another translation says slave, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself. Say humbled himself. By becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. There's two deaths there. Obedient to the point of death, meaning that he was living dead, and he was so obedient when it came to the cross and time to physically die, he was obedient to that as well. The reason why you're struggling with sin is you're not dead yet. That's why Romans 6.11 says, consider yourself dead to sin and alive to Christ. A lot of Christians don't believe they're dead to sin and alive to Christ. Why don't they believe that? Because they look how they keep sinning. Well, you have to believe first that Jesus came to save you from your sins. He came to save you from your sins. He came to to come into your life so that you don't have to sin anymore. So Romans 6 is very clear. You have to believe I'm dead to sin. Say, I'm dead to sin. If you are in Christ, no matter how you feel or what you think or what your life looks like, in Christ, you're dead to sin, Romans 6, 11. So then why do I keep doing this? Because I love myself and I love what I want more than I love Jesus. It's very simple. Christianity is not complicated. And the grace of God comes into your life when you acknowledge, hey, God, this is the reality of where I am. I, I just don't want to give this up, whatever this may be, because I kind of want my own way. Will you save me for myself and help me to believe I'm dead to this? Got heavy in here, right? Why? Because we all know that's our experience. By grace, we're saved, guys. Saved from what? Saved from sin? He came to save us from sin. Verse 7, he, he emptied himself by taking the form of servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Now, I want to read uh, 5 through 8 from the message because I, I really, really like it. It puts it in kind of normal language. So ask God for ears to hear what the Spirit is saying. It says, think of yourself the way Christ Jesus thought of himself. He had equal status with God. 
but didn't think so much of himself that he had to cling to the advantages of that status no matter what. Not at all. When the time came, he set aside the privileges of deity and he took on the status of a slave and he became human. Having become human, he stayed human. This was an incredible, humbling process. He didn't claim special privileges. Instead, he lived selfless, an obedient life. Then he died a selfless, obedient death, and the worst kind of death at that, a crucifixion. It's very well put. So let's go through Philippians 2. Look at verse 5. It says, have this mindset. Have this mind. Have this mind. I, I, I want you to go back one page to Philippians 1.21. Paul had this mindset which is why he said what he said here. He said, for to me to live is Christ. And you could put, by the way, Philippians 2, 5 through 8 there. To live is Christ. What does to live is Christ mean? It means Philippians 2, 5 through 8. That was his mindset. And to die, it's gain. It's gain. And so Paul had the mind of Christ as he walked this earth. That's why he said, follow me as I follow who? Christ. Follow me as I follow Christ. He says in Philippians 3, I consider everything rubbish that I may know Christ and be found in Christ. The words in Christ, in him, right? That's used over 90 times by the Apostle Paul. The main fact about Paul's life is that he's in Christ and Christ was his life, Christ was his all. And he was settled in that mindset. Many of us are not settled in that mindset. We are settled in Christian schizophrenia. Hey, nice to meet you. I'm a Christian. I have schizophrenia. I want you to go to 1 Corinthians 2.16. Keep your place here in Philippians 2. We're going to be coming back. And again, this may be a verse that you memorize because it's really, really powerful because, again, like we live out of our beliefs, and many of us don't believe this. So this is why James says, a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. And so James 1.5, it's like, if anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives it. But when you ask, don't doubt. A person that doubts is not going to receive anything from the Lord. He's like a a boat on an ocean that goes back and forth and back and forth. He's double-minded in all his ways. And my biggest issue as a Christian for the first number of years of my Christian walk was that I was double-minded. Double-minded? Yeah. 
early on. I'm trying to walk this narrow road. It's a Super Bowl party. All my old homies are there. And what's it going to be, Chris? You know what's coming. Hey, bro, what's up, homie? Some of you don't know what that is. That's good. Stay on that path. Jello shots at halftime so we can watch Swifty. If I hear that name one more time today. <laughs> and what was the problem? Double minded. More of me had to die. More, I had to come to that place and, and got it to bring. Nah, this is my life now. I don't get down like that anymore. This is my life now. This is who I am now. I'm dead. I'm dead to sin. I'm alive to Christ. I've, I've switched things up. I'm not double-minded. I have this single mind now. And listen, that's a lot of us here. We could probably leave right now because you know, you know, that's my issue. I haven't kind of made that conscious decision to live out what this verse says in 1 Corinthians 2.16. Let's read it. It says, for who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? By the way, this is how most of our prayers are pray, pray, prayed. We're, 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 we're instructing him on what we think we need. Am I wrong? But look what it says, and I want you to highlight this. We have. Oh, man, the blood of Christ, the cross of Christ has given us the mind of Christ. We have the mind of Christ. So by grace, we have the mind of Christ. And here's where our discipleship comes in. Romans 12.1, it says, Do not be conformed by the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your what? Mind, so that you can approve what is God's perfect will for your life, what's pleasing to him. So we have the mind of Christ, but then we have a responsibility by the grace of God to renew our mind around what is true, what is lovely, what is pure, what is of good report, that we've got to think on these things. And if so a man thinketh, so what? So is he. And so there's this walk of faith where we have a mind. I have the mind of Christ. Now I, by grace, I can come into it. God, take me into it. The hardest thing, one of the hardest things I've ever done is play golf. I feel like a moron out there. I'm used to very basic stuff like shooting a basketball, right? Shoulder width apart, elbow in. You don't, you, this is a guide, it's not, you don't shoot with this, you get that elbow in, you tuck it in, and you come down, and you come up, and you get your, right, and then you, pro, right, like, that's easy, but this little tiny ball, and I'm like, ah, I want to hit that thing, but don't, don't let the club do its work, let the club, do, that doesn't even make sense to me. And everything I've learned, right, sports and basketball, this intensity, 
I'm just walking in confusion. Now, I haven't cussed yet. Now, there's some witnesses out there. And I don't think that's going to happen because the abundance of the heart of the mouth speaks. But there's been times. Put a guard on my tongue, Lord. Anger, frustration, it's all there. And what I have to do is my mind, my mind, my mind. I am one of the greatest golfers of all time. My body doesn't know that yet. Nor does anybody watching me know. I've got to... Again, there, there is this renewing, renewing, renewing of my mind. Over what? Practice, practice, practice. And we get this in the world, but we don't get this in the church. You have the mind of Christ. Say, I have the mind of Christ. Romans 12, 1 and 2. That's, that's you going to the driving range. Okay? All right, it's enough of golf. I want to come out of my depression. I want you to turn to John 6, 28. So I have the mind of Christ. The hardest work God is ever going to give me to do in life is the work to believe. John 6, 28, the disciples, they're asking Jesus a question. John 6, 28, what must we do to be doing the works of God? See, we want to just do. God, tell me what to do, and I'll go do it. That's not Christianity. Christianity is God living his life through you. And Jesus answered, this is the work of God. This is the hardest thing that you're ever going to do for the rest of your life. That you believe in him. The hardest work to do, the work that he wants us to do, is to believe in Jesus. Believe in Jesus? Yeah, believe in Jesus. Like, all of my faith is in Jesus. If I'm going to walk in the mind of Christ, I've got to believe that Jesus is going to take me there. I've got to believe also that that is a promise for me. I've got to believe that Jesus is going to do something. Depression comes in because I quit believing in Jesus. And depression's a real thing, but just understand the simplicity of it is I quit believing whatever's depressing me, I quit believing that Jesus is ruling over that. I get depressed, by the way. Why do I get depressed? Because I quit believing in Jesus. My, my trust isn't in him. And some of you are like, Chris, you're so simplistic. Look, what is this? What did Jesus say to his disciples? This is the work of God that you believe in him who is sent. Just believe in Jesus? Yeah, believe in Jesus. But it's a battle to believe in Jesus. It's a battle to believe my marriage is going to come back together when I, I see absolutely nothing to prove that out. In fact, I see the opposite. I see it going backwards. But Jesus, I'm, I'm going to believe. Help my unbelief. And this is the work, guys. 
So you have to believe you have the mind of Christ. You have to believe. So this is the first thing. We're asking the question, how did Jesus do it? Jesus had a mindset that the Father was with him, that the Father is never going to leave him or forsake him. Jesus believed that he didn't want to do anything unless the Father was doing it. Jesus had a certain mindset. So if we don't have the mindset that we have the mind of Christ, it's going to stop right there. And so God, help me to believe Help me to believe that I have the mind of Christ. Verse 5. Let's go back to Philippians chapter 2. Let's continue on. Let's look at verse 6. So if you're taking note, this is the second thing out of Philippians chapter 2. He was God. But he, he never clung to his rights. He didn't, he, didn't, he didn't cling to his rights. So though he was in the form of God, he didn't count equality with God a thing to be grasped. He didn't, he didn't say, hey, I'm God, I'm here. As a husband, I have certain rights. Because the husband is the head of the wife. And just because that's what the Bible declares, and just because God gives me those rights, it doesn't mean that I use those rights. In fact, when we look at Jesus, he says, you say that I'm Lord, and I am. And then he takes off his his garment, and he gets down, and he washes his feet. Jesus didn't cling to his rights, but he became a servant. I have a right as a dad. I'm paying rent. I'm buying the food and the electricity. I'm sitting in my lazy boys. Bring me the head of a pig. Bring me some nachos. Bring me this. Bring me that. I have that right as the dad, as the head of the household. I'm paying the bills. You don't like it, get a job, move out, right? I have that right. But do I do that? Only a couple days a week. No, just kidding. No, I don't do that. In fact, it's the opposite. My wife and I, we go without so our children can have. We sacrifice so that we can give them things. We sacrifice so we can send them places, right? We, die. we don't cling to our rights. We say, and even in the church, as the pastor, 1 Timothy 5.17, double honor. I have rights. Pastor's parking right out front. I have rights. I was laughing a long time ago. We were at a house church function. And for me, um, Jesus said the first should be what? Duh. So I try to be last at potluck. Don't try to steal my blessing. Well, somebody was new to the church, and then there was no seat. So I just sat next to the couch on the floor with my plate, and I'm eating it. This lady got so offended. Oh, these church, this church doesn't understand. They need to honor the man of God. That, da, da, da. And she got all jacked up and bent out of shape because I wasn't honored. No, you don't cling to your rights as a disciple. Servant, slave, least, last, it's a race. 
Servant, slave, lease, last. It's a race. Listen, some of you are going to go to seminary. Don't ever forget, seminary is slave school. You are going to learn how to become a slave of all. You are going to learn how to die to yourself so that others may have life. That's what a true shepherd does. It's not a hireling that when they see the wolf coming, they flee, but a true shepherd lays its life down for the sheep. We've all been given certain rights by God. Remember I said in Genesis chapter 1? We were given what? Dominion. We've been given rights to rule. And some of us in our Christian walk are still clinging to those rights. Like we're making decisions for our own life. And that's going to lead you down a road that's no bueno. Jeremy, if you could just cue up the video of Weston, who stopped clinging to his rights. Don't cue it. So I was born in Dallas, Texas, and... um, moved to South Florida at a young age with my family. My parents come from a legalistic background, so growing up, I saw that bleed into my life, you know, a little bit. Going to church, doing all the right things, you know, as a Christian on the outside, but at home, you know, it's in turmoil, you know what I mean? They're, my dad, I saw my dad get physical with my mom a few times, a lot of yelling, you know, and um, just stuff that a kid should not see, being 10 years old, around that age and them getting a divorce. So they get a divorce and at the time, it's, you know, maybe I was a selfish kid or something. I'm like, we got, you know, now we get two birthdays, we get two Christmases, no problem. But what what happened was is now, you know, we're going over to mom's one week and then the next week we're going over to dad's. Dad is more structured, has more of a schedule on things. Mom's more spontaneous, more of a free spirit. So there's no order in my life. Fast forward to high school, you know, obviously it's a single household on both sides. I go in, um, you know, I was very good at sports, especially football. God just blessed me with being an athlete. But my high school identity was within football and it was within smoking weed. I graduate at 18 and I didn't go to school right away. I started working for my dad, so that gave me the opportunity to make some money. But then I started to smoke weed every day, all day, you know. There wasn't a time really where I wasn't stoned out of my mind, you know. At 20, I would say, is I was on YouTube one night. I went down this rabbit hole of videos like that, you know, people claiming that they went to hell or claiming that they went to heaven. Do I know if they were telling the truth? I don't know, but it doesn't matter because it shook me. And it's like growing up, I knew who Jesus was. I knew, I heard the gospel, you know? I went to church camp. I probably got saved like six times, you know what I mean? Going up to the altar. But I didn't know the grace of God you know, and those videos really shook me, you know, was walking with him probably for about, you know, five years. And then I started to get back into, into smoking a lot again. Towards the end, my body started to reject it because I'd be smoking. I, I'd just be doing it all day for the most part. And I think that that was some grace from God too, because I can't, you know, if I, from looking at my life, I could see a pattern of if I got into it, I, I couldn't stop it. You know what I mean? It would take God's hand to do that. So that happened. I rededicated my life to God. I knew of Bow Down, specifically PC, because he went to Jupiter Christian, which is where I went. I got involved, started to, to um, 
do outreach at um, Sullivan Park, and I loved it. And then that's when I met my wife, you know, Mia. And for anyone that knows Mia, she's like a very sweet soul, just a sweet person. So I'm walking into church one day, and I think she's greeting. You know, I'm a single guy at the time. I'm like, she's beautiful or whatever. And, um, you know, she's very nice. I'm like, oh, she's interested in me. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right away, right? <laughs> um, but that wasn't the case. And she kind of shot me down a couple times because she doesn't, she didn't want to, she wanted to guard her heart. I kind of got to the point where it's like, this probably is not going to happen, you know? And my mom owns, at the time, owned a consignment shop, right? And she's, I guess she wanted to bless the girls in 516 because that's what Mia did with some clothes. Mia called me one day and she was like, just bold. She's like, hey, I just wanna, I just wanna find out, are there, is, the, is this a strings attached thing? You know, are there strings attached to this thing? I'm like, no, I didn't, you know, I didn't tell my mom to give you clothes. In my head on that conversation, I'm like, I'm just gonna try one more time. You know what I mean? I'm just gonna ask one more time, can we go get coffee? You know, can we go just do something? You know, have a conversation and, and she's like, well, have you prayed for confirmation about it? And I'm like, I haven't prayed for confirmation about it. I've prayed about you. Anybody who knows what a crush is like, you know, you can't stop thinking about him. So I couldn't stop thinking about her, but I never had a dream about her, you know? But that night I did have a dream about her. And immediately, Ephesians 5.25, which I didn't know at the time, that's what was, um, what I, what God spoke to me. Ephesians 5.25, I opened my Bible at like six in the morning you know, like scrambling, you know? Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and he gave himself up for her. So I actually went and, and talked to PC about it. And I'm like, what should I do? You know what I mean? And he's like, well, you should keep, keep that dream in your back pocket. Don't, you know, don't tell her about it yet. Keep seeking counsel, seek God, you know? And I'm like, okay, I, I'll do that. So I seek God on it even more, just harder, with all my heart. And I'm like, when, when should I tell her about this dream, you know? And... It was like the Ephesians 5.25 voice, you know. You'll tell her a week from today when she pulls away emotionally again. But a week from that day, what happens? She pulls back emotionally. I'm like, okay, that's not for me then, you know. It's literally a week from that day. And I'm like, I got to tell her now, right? So I do tell her. And she's, she's getting serious about praying about it now. God reminded her that she had like a vision book that she would like write down stuff that she felt like was from the Lord that she heard or like dreams that she's had. She goes and looks through it. And in that book is a vision that was basically your mother-in-law is going to bless you with clothes. And this is years before, you know, her and I even met. So that at that point, she's like, yeah, I mean, this is you know, this is of the Lord. Takeaway for me is, and it's very simple, it's that God has been faithful through my unfaithfulness my whole life, you know? He's always been faithful, and he will always be faithful when I'm unfaithful. Mm. Amen. So, girls... If a guy comes to you and says, I had a dream about you, just, just send him over to me or one of the elders. Weston 
stopped clinging to his rights to do whatever he wanted to do with his life. And if you do that, you're going to get a spouse. I'm just kidding. (laughs) Couldn't help it. But the purposes of God began to unfold in his life when he didn't cling to his rights about what he wanted to do with his life and how he wanted to live. He knew God loved. Some of you known God loves you for a long time. But it's, it's saying, okay, God, help me to no longer cling to my rights like you do, Jesus. I want to begin to follow you. I want to lay it. I just want to lay, I want to lay my life down before you. And so you see, man, in this passage here, he didn't, he didn't cling to his rights. And then I look at verse 7 of Philippians 2. He emptied himself. He emptied himself. Jesus was fully God and fully man, but he emptied himself. Well, what did he empty himself of? One of the things he emptied himself of was that God is omnipresent, meaning he's everywhere at all times. Jesus is here in the room with us now, as we've already stated. But then when we became fully man, Jesus wasn't omnipresent. How do we know that? Because the wise men and the shepherds, they had to go where? To Bethlehem, where Jesus was. So Jesus emptied himself of his omnipresence, if you will. Jesus also emptied himself of his omnipotence. Omnipotence, his all power. How do we know that? Mark chapter 6. We see Jesus, he couldn't, do a might, he couldn't do many miracles there. Wait a minute, I thought he was God. Yeah, he was God, but he emptied himself and he moved by the power of the Holy Spirit so he couldn't heal there because they were offended by Jesus. He marveled at their unbelief and so he emptied himself. And also, God is all-knowing. He knows it all from beginning to end. But yet, when they asked Jesus when he was going to come back, he says, those times, I don't know, the Father knows. So Jesus also emptied himself of some knowledge. Why did we spend so much time in Jesus as God? He's still fully God, but he emptied himself of certain attributes as a man, even though he was fully God. Does that make sense? So how did Jesus do it? He walked with a dependence on the leading of the Holy Spirit, not in who he was as God because he didn't cling to his rights. He emptied himself. He didn't do miracles in his own strength. He did miracles in the strength of the Holy Spirit. He depended on the Father's leading. That's why he said, I don't say anything unless the Father says it. I don't do anything unless the Father does it. Those are his words. Acts chapter 10, 38, it says, God anointed Jesus with the Spirit, and he went about doing all kinds of things. Jesus did his works in the power of the Holy Spirit, submitting to God. He emptied himself. The reality is, as many of us, we don't want to empty ourselves. We want to do things in our own strength. In fact, our society teaches us that. 
your gifts, your talents, your right, and we begin to cling to our rights, not Jesus. He laid it all down, and he was completely led by the Father, completely dependent on the Father's leading. We see this all throughout Scripture. So much so, when it came time in that garden, and he's dripping drops of blood because he knows he's about to be crucified and go through a painful death, he says, Lord, if there's any way you can take this cup from me, nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Jesus submitted his will to the Father, and he obeyed completely, even to the point of death, death on the cross. So how did Jesus do it? He had a mindset. He had a mindset that was fixed. He wasn't double-minded. He wasn't double-minded at all. Look at these things in Philippians chapter 2 here, guys. And we're landing the plane right now. He had a certain mindset. And listen, Scripture says you have the mind of Christ. He didn't cling to his rights as God, being God. He, didn't, he, he became a servant. He didn't demand things, right? Even when he came into Jerusalem, if it was me and I was the king of kings and lord of lords, I'd been riding 24s with spinners. About 25 stallions leading me. Hey, system bumping in. Yeah, I'm here. The king is here, right? No, he came in on a donkey. He's humble. He's a humble king. He wasn't stunting. He didn't cling to his rights. He emptied himself. And are we going to empty ourselves and say, okay, God, fill me. I want to move with you. And obedience, obedience to the point of death. Yeah, I don't want to die, God. I don't want to die to myself. See, this is where the grace of God comes in. Is God knows, he knows that you don't want to empty yourself. He knows you don't want to give up your rights. And he knows you won't become obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. But this is where our faith and grace comes in. That, oh God, I just acknowledge. Would you do this through me? Would you search me and know my heart? Would you change me from the inside out? Would you begin to create in me a clean heart, a right heart? My dependence is on you, Jesus. Help me to start believing what you've declared, but I trust in your grace that you're going to move me into what you've declared me to be. Vision and tension means the means is the power of the Holy Spirit Connected to a surrendered life. Philippians chapter 2. That's a surrendered life. And this is who we are, Christians. This is who we are. But we need the grace of God to bring us into that. Worship team, come on up, please. Prayer partners, come on up, please. If you're planning on getting drunk at the Super Bowl party... Listen, tonight's not the night. No more double-mindedness. Father, we just acknowledge uh, our need for you. We thank you, Jesus, that you are such a perfect example in our life. Lord, we just, we believe, help our unbelief. 
Lord, we want to abide in the Spirit. We want to walk in the Spirit. We want to abide in your presence. So, Lord, I, I pray you would help us to believe that we have the mind of Christ. Lord, help us to, to, to not cling to, to any of our rights, and we're sorry that we do that so often. God, help us to empty ourselves. Because apart from you, we can do nothing. And we're sorry, God. We do so much on our own strength. Teach us how to empty ourselves as a, as a way of life. And God, hearts of obedience. Lord, we were rebels through and through where we did not want you to rule over us. But Lord, we ask that your grace would be poured out in this place as we just acknowledge, God, we need you, God, to to grant us hearts of obedience. God, begin to stir up, God, the things in us that are keeping us from living. Philippians 2, 5 through 8, God. Because this is our mindset. This is our mindset as Christians. Just be glorified, God. And Lord, if there's anyone here today that is relating to where Weston was, I pray, God, that they would make a decision today and come forward and say, Jesus, I am. I am making a decision I want you to be Lord of my life. I can't do this life apart from you. I need you, Jesus. And God, you are the God of grace that has already spoken by your cross. You spilled your blood. You gave your body to be broken so that you could have us. And your love's already been demonstrated, God. So just the acknowledgement, just the decision, God. I pray, Holy Spirit of God, that you would draw those today. I would simply say, yes, Lord. Help us to sing now and to worship you, Jesus. You are worthy. You are worthy. Be glorified in Christ's name. Amen. Thanks for visiting us today. Make sure to check us out online at www.bowdownchurch.com.